The following is sponsored by the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, proclaiming biblical doctrine to foster a reformed awakening in today's church. Log on AllianceNet.org and listen for more at the conclusion of today's program. This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm James Dolezal, and this time I'm taking the position of lead host, and Jonathan Master will not be co-hosting with me today because he is, in fact, uh, our guest. So, Jonathan, I'm welcoming you in as a guest on our own podcast because we're discussing a book uh, that you wrote, uh, published by the Banner of Truth Trust, growing in grace, becoming more like Jesus. So, Jonathan, I'm thankful that you're here to talk about your own book. This, by the way, got passed over. We didn't mention it, I think, as I recall, uh, when it was published a a couple of years back. And so it seems fitting that we spend a little time with it now. It is great to be with you as always, and I'm just hoping that you'll go easy on me. Well, I can't promise that, but I, well, I'm not going to go hard on you. You know, we've we've uh, appreciated. Got to keep the peace at theology on the <laughs> go. Right, so that's right. That's right. I, I can't grill. I mean, if we have to grill a guest, then we might not have them back. But I can't afford not to have you back. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into it. So you you wrote this little book. It appears in the uh, the mini guide uh, series published by Banner of Truth Trust. And this is this is a book on. Would you say on the doctrine of sanctification broadly? Um, yeah, broadly speaking, it is, although I think there is another banner mini guide on sanctification, and it deals with that in a more systematic way. But it, it, there's a, a lot of overlap, because when we talk about sanctification, one of the ways we could describe that, one of the the um, one, one of the subtitles, as it were, that we could give to sanctification is growing in grace. And so that's really what I'm focused on here, though, is growth in grace. And so maybe one of the distinctions is that I'm trying to categorize every aspect of the book, every chapter in the book, um, in light of that overall theme of how the Bible deals with grace and how the Bible deals with our growth in grace. So I want to start off with something that you mentioned early in the book, uh, which is that growth in grace is a command, is an exhortation. It's something that you say we are supposed to work hard at, and yet that seems difficult given that grace is a gift. And so how is it that grace is a gift and yet we're to work hard at growth in it? Is that, I don't know, is that not oxymoronic or how do you hold those things together? Well, I think there are a lot of people that find it um, to be a source of great tension. And so whenever there's a command in the Bible, whenever there is urgency to to give effort, they want to say that all that 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 is there for is to kind of expose the fact that we can't. Um, but but I think there's more going on. I think the scriptures genuinely mean what they say when they give us those kinds of commands and when they exhort us to that kind of effort. You see the Apostle Paul speak in these terms when he talks about his own ministry. He says, God's grace in my life was not in vain. And the reason that he gives, the kind of proof that he gives, is because I worked harder than all of them. But then he goes on to say right after that, yet not I, but the grace of God working in me. So this idea of 
effort and work and uh, expending energy uh, and, and giving focus to certain things is not opposed to growing in grace. In fact, it's a sign of God's work in our lives and evidence that God is at work in us. And, and so, of course, it's not something that we receive credit for apart from God. God's the one who, uh, first of all, it's in him that we live and move and have our being. We, we wouldn't even exist apart from God's yeah, I was gonna say, concur- concurrence has to be the framework. Behind it it has to be, it has to be the framework. And, and yet, and yet the Bible gives commands and these commands are, uh, require us to expend great effort. The the thing that might be also helpful is that the the place where this phrase "grow in grace," this command "grow in grace" occurs is in Second Peter three. It's really the last recorded words that we have of the Apostle Peter, and so there's a poignancy to that. But what Peter does there is he combines the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ with knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I do think we can conceptualize. The idea of giving effort to grow in knowledge, whether it's knowledge of a subject or in this case, knowledge of a person. And and it it is, I think, worth considering the fact that Peter inextricably links growth in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ with growth in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you kind of hold the I was that was one of the questions I was going to point at specifically. How do you hold those two together? Because that comes as a as a kind of two sides of a single coin that there's that that growth is what he's commending but that it's in grace and in knowledge how does it, well let me put it, let me put it on the negative side can you grow in grace and be kind of stultified and stunted in knowledge or or vice versa can you grow in real knowledge and and fail to um, develop in uh, the marks of grace I suppose if you think of knowledge as simply a body of facts, then someone could memorize a lot of factual information, even about the Bible or or about God, and and not be growing in grace through that effort. But the thing that's important to keep in mind is the the object of the knowledge or and the subject of the knowledge. Is is the Lord Jesus Christ? It's personal knowledge of a person, and so I don't think there's a way to grow in personal knowledge. Um, re- if if you want to think of it this way, relational knowledge of Jesus Christ without growing in grace, because the whole of our salvation, the benefits of our salvation, including our sanctification, all all are rooted in our union with Jesus Christ, and so. To grow in the knowledge of that person to whom we are united in salvation and and from whom we receive all the benefits of salvation. Jesus talks to his disciples about his his him being the vine, and and he says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so, and so I think when you realize that the the kind of knowledge that Peter's describing and Maybe more than thinking about the kind of knowledge, the 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 object of the knowledge um, is is personal, and so uh, in that sense, I think you can't separate those two. Although I know we have ways of defining those terms that that might make them separable. 
In the second section of your book, part two of it, a middle section of the book, you have three chapters uh, on Christ as prophet, priest, and king, and particularly kind of getting at what enables what enables growth and grace. Um, certainly God, whose gift it is, certainly the doctrine of providence, God at work in you to will and to do. So we've, we've mentioned those briefly, but maybe bring it a little more specifically. How does that threefold office of Christ in his Christological anointed offices, prophet, priest, and king, how does that particularly enable growth and grace? As opposed to, maybe what I mean is, as opposed to just um, inspiration, a kind of compelling figure outside of us, how does that work on our behalf actually help us in this area of growth? Well, the biblical framework for our growth and grace points us toward asking the question maybe in a slightly different way. It's, it's, it is about how we grow in grace, but it's also about in whom we grow in grace. And that is, again, it's a personal, it's, it's Christ who is at work in us, and, and it's Christ who's being formed in us by his Holy Spirit. And so when you realize that, you realize focusing on Christ and his offices uh, as mediator, prophet, priest, and king has to be at the center of of how it is that we even understand our growth in grace. And so you're right. It's not just that he serves as an example as the perfect prophet and this great high priest and a and a and a wise sovereign king. Um he he does serve as an example for us in those ways, but it's not really even the primary focus. The primary focus is he is those things and he is those things to us. So he is the prophet to whom we must listen, the prophet like Moses. And so if we have a, a, a question, if we have a, um, a um, if we, if we want to learn about God or about ourselves or about the world in which we live, to whom do we turn? We turn to the prophet, Jesus Christ. In, 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 in former days, the writer of Hebrews says, God spoke through the prophets in many ways, but now he has spoken to us through his son. And so we and so the writer to Hebrews goes on to give a command, listen to him. See see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. And then with respect to his priesthood, we he is that to us. Um we we come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ because of Christ's priestly work. We can the writer to Hebrews says enter the holy places with full assurance and we can we can uh, draw near to God with confidence that we're drawing near to his throne of grace because we're drawing near through the work of our great high priest, who is also the once for all sacrifice. And as our king, he is the one to whom we give ultimate allegiance. He is the one whom we need to follow. When the chips are down, um, we have no king, no ultimate king but Jesus Christ. And so he's an example, of course, but but what I'm trying to get out there is that these are the specific offices that he holds, and 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 these are the, the primary ways he mediates the benefits of his redemption to us as his people. So it isn't just Christ out there deserving respect, but it's Christ out, Christ outside of me in those offices working for me and then uniting himself. To me through a spirit. Yeah, exactly right. And I think I, I'm 
I'm not, this isn't original with me, but sometimes even when we think of grace, we think of grace as this kind of substance that gets imparted to us, you know, in various ways through various means. But in the Bible, it's always focused on Jesus Christ. And so that's why actually the the sort of section title for those chapters is the advent of grace, because we're we're talking there not about grace as this sort of thing that comes into the world apart from Christ, but but God's grace is personified and and we are given it through our union with Jesus Christ. So in addition, so after the section on Christ, you do you have a, a third section dealing with means, um, also additional means by which um, maybe we should say our our. Uh, our walk in Christ and our union with Christ is in fact um, cultivated and developed. And you bring up two in particular, the church and sacraments. And I want to just, before you get into that, like is private devotions, for instance, or our private devotions alone sufficient for this? Or is this a book about the need for more and more intense private devotions? Or is there something, is there something else that is really the context for this growth? Definitely the latter. Um, I always want to encourage people, and I need to challenge myself to be more fervent in private prayer and more fervent in my Bible study. I mean, we live in a time where we have the opportunity to study the Bible for ourselves. Not all Christians have enjoyed that opportunity, but we have it, and so we need to take advantage of it. And in so doing, we're meditating on God's Word, as Psalm 1 tells tells us the blessed man does meditates on the word of god day and night so so i'm i, I want to say uh, emphatically I'm, private devotions. no i'm pro i'm pro private devotions all right we've got but, you on the record for that yes but 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 you know in the scriptures what we see is that the 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 means that god has given for his, the ordinary means that god has given for his people to grow in grace um are the word and the sacraments and prayer and and when we talk about the word, primarily we're not actually talking about your personal Bible reading. Although again, you know, want to underscore that's that's vitally important, and we should be there's no there's no excuse for us to ignore that. But really, what we're talking about is the sitting under the Word of God as it's preached to us. That's what's prominent, and there are reasons why it's prominent in in the time of the New Testament. People didn't have their personal copy of the Scriptures, so the way that you heard the Word of God was by by actually hearing it, hearing it read and hearing it preached. So there's a primacy to that. And 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 there are promises that go along with that. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. And and there are promises associated with the the sacraments or the ordinances that that Jesus has given to his church. But you know, one way to think about this is when you think about something like the book of Ephesians, in the first three chapters, Paul outlines in great detail the blessings of our salvation. He goes all the way back to God's election before the foundation of the world and describes how we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but we're made alive with Christ and by grace you've been saved. And then when he gets into the section of the book where he talks about what it means to walk worthy of this high calling, in other words, kind of the application or implication section of the book, what's striking to me is he doesn't say the way you walk worthy is by now 
undertaking private devotions. What he says instead is he talks about our corporate life together. He talks about bearing with one another and humbly submitting ourselves to one another and forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven us. He talks about how God has given gifts to his church of pastors and teachers. And and, and so Paul immediately, when he talks about what it means to walk worthy what it means to live as a Christian, to live in light of these great redemptive truths, talks about the church. And I think what you find in the New Testament is that that's consistent, that that's always the way it goes. And so you get to the end and you realize there's no way to conceive of the Christian life as a solo mission. And in fact, we're given direct commands that we cannot forsake the gathering together of other believers as many are in the habit of doing. So I wanted to talk as we kind of move toward the end of our discussion about um, some of the key characteristics of growth and grace. So we can talk about grace and growth, but putting that together concretely, what does that what does that look like in the life of the individual who is growing? What what are some of the marks of that grace? Right. So in this section on the life of grace, I I, I tried to zero in on five truths, five accents, uh, emphases in the New Testament that have to do with the Christian life. And the ones that I focused on were, first of all, the Bible's command that we um, reckon ourselves dead to sin, that we understand what has definitively happened in um, in our salvation, and we live in light of that. And that involves understanding what has happened to us with respect to sin, and also understanding the real sense in which we are slaves to righteousness and slaves to God and the profound effect that those truths, those two truths of salvation have on us. Then in the final three chapters, I I, I deal with the notion of basically humility, the fact that, that our Christian lives aren't about ourselves primarily. Sometimes Christian life and Christian growth can be just a thinly veiled attempt at talking about um, self-actualization. And and that is actually not at all. I mean, that's antithetical to what the Bible describes in terms of our growth in humility and in service. And then a, a, a quick chapter on suffering, because one of the things that's hard to miss when you come to the scriptures, we, we, we would like to miss it, I think, sometimes, but it's hard to miss is that suffering is so closely connected with growth that, you know, you really it seems can't have um, growth without suffering. On the one side, it almost feels like suffering would get in the way of growth. If you if you suffer physiologically, right. it might stunt your growth. But you're pointing out that suffering actually is a catalyst it's, for it's a, growth. It's one 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 way one illustration that's helpful. I think to that everyone understands is is in the field of athletics. You know, you need to train, and training involves suffering to some degree. I mean, even people who love practice and love training recognize that it you're you're expending energy it's hard you you're stretching yourself you're pushing yourself and to the extent that you do that it prepares you better or or in academic pursuits you you really you need to study you need to read that that there's a kind of suffering involved in that but but it's so closely connected with learning and growth that you know you can grow to enjoy it and and that's just true in life in general it, you're right it doesn't get in the way although we sometimes think it will it invariably leads to growth. And the Bible's just couldn't be clearer about that. And then, and then lastly, I just talk about glorification because um so much of our growth 
is meant to be um, in the shadow of hope. And, you know, you've probably noticed, and our listeners have probably noticed that the the books in the Bible that tell us the most about heaven and tell us the most about the future and the end times are invariably books that were written in 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 times of great suffering. So in other words, God, God knows that what people need when they're suffering greatly or when the prospect of suffering is right there on the horizon is is more revelation about the future. And we don't think in those terms we wouldn't necessarily counsel someone who's going through terrible suffering with, you know, Daniel or first and second Thessalonians or the book of Revelation. But in a sense, that's what God does. And so understanding the hope that we have in Christ is vital to our growth in grace. All right. I have one final question for us. And this is with regard to the the ultimate telos. What is the ultimate end of growth in grace? And maybe I could put it in different terms. Um, when or will we ever be all grown up? Well, the Bible says that we will be like him, meaning we will be like Christ, for we will see him as he really is. And while I don't mean to imply that eternity is static, like there won't be things to do and ways that will be, you know, expanding our horizons as it were, but but fundamentally it's that moment of glorification when we um when we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And it's such a beautiful picture and a powerful hope. And it fits with this whole emphasis that growth in grace is really growth in Christ-likeness. It's it's inextricably linked with a knowledge of Christ, a growing knowledge of Christ. And so it's fitting that the telos, um, the, the ultimate end goal, is Christ-likeness. Well, Jonathan, thank you. Thanks for discussing this book. Um, I'll do the wrap-up on my own this time, uh, since the interview has been with my co-host, uh, Jonathan Master. We've been discussing his book, Growing in Grace, Becoming More Like Jesus. I want to encourage listeners uh, to pick up a copy of this book or pick up several copies. It's a very uh, inexpensive uh, paperback from Banner of Truth. Our friends at the Banner of Truth have given us uh, uh, copies that you can enter to win um, on our on our website. Um, I also just want to say I think that this book would work very well in kind of a Bible study setting as a as a something you work through with the youth group. Jonathan, your prose in this book is um, is very accessible and clear and and firmly rooted in the scriptures. And I think it's the kind of book that a, a wide range of readers would be able to to access and to enjoy. And so I would highly encourage uh, you to pick up a copy for yourself, pick up a copy for your children, work through it with them as well. Enter for a chance to win if you don't want to pay for it, but it's also very modestly priced. So I encourage you to that end. We're thankful for our listeners. We're thankful uh, for uh, the support you give us, uh, both in prayer um, and in encouraging words and notes that you send our way, and even for um, corrections and advice that is sent our way. We're grateful for these things. If you're able to support us uh, in a monetary way, you can do that at alliancenet.org or at placefortruth.org. If you go to either of those websites at placefortruth.org, if you look at the upper right-hand corner, you should find a, a donate button. Um, we're very grateful for the support uh, that you give to us and any support that you may be able uh, to send our way. And as always, we are thankful for the time you took to listen to Theology on the Go, a 
brief interview about an eternal truth. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals is thankful for your support. The Alliance is a coalition of Christians with a passion for the truth of God's Word, upholding biblical doctrine, sharing the gospel, and equipping Christians with trustworthy teaching through broadcasts, publishing, and events. Your generous gifts enable the Alliance to share the message of ultimate hope, which originates not in man, but in what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. As we approach year-end, we need your assistance to raise the funding necessary to finish the year strong and reach even more people in the year ahead. Please join us and help underwrite this teaching and encouraging ministry. Visit AllianceNet.org/donate to make a gift online. That's AllianceNet.org/donate or call 1-800-488-1888. Please consider sending a gift now when the need is so great. Thank you 